0: From St. Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, for Jews demand signs, and Greeks demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Good morning, friends. Is anybody here familiar with the Christian satire site, the Babylon Bee? Anybody know it? It's a really funny site. uh, uh, the, The guy, I remember a couple months ago, the guy who runs it, can't think of his name off the top of my head. He was in, in an interview and he said, You know, we've been doing this for years. It's becoming increasingly more and more difficult to find things to poke fun at because increasingly the things that we would make fun of as absurd are becoming real. He said the culture is moving in such a strange direction that the things we would dis- dismiss as absurd are actually now just becoming more and more mainstream. And I'll give you an example. This past week, I saw an article, uh, I think it was on Thursday or Friday, a news report about the Associated Press. I guess they've got a standard by which you can make um, references in documents. And the Associated Press has now decided that they're going to outlaw the word the. I'm not making this up. I wish I were. That in the striving to become more inclusive, that to use the word the with a people group is incredibly limiting, and it's not broad enough, and we don't want to cause any, any offense. And so you can't call them the Dutch, or the British, or the Americans, or the French. And of course, the French got word of this, and they were offended. You know, it's interesting, the more and more you think about, I don't, I don't want to say woke, well, I'll say woke culture, I mean, this how things become stranger and stranger. It's amazing to me how the scriptures, even though they're written 2,000 years ago, speak right into the very world in which we are living right now. It's not obvious, but it will be in a minute. St. Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, is dealing with this exact same problem. Wouldn't call it wokeism, he'd call it wisdom, but, he, but it's the same dynamic, and it's been this way, actually in the West, is has been this idea that the West has been sort of turning in on itself ever since, most historians would say, since about World War I. After World War I, all the colonies began to fall apart, the French colony and the British and so forth, uh, the French uh, empires rather, and British empire, began to collapse and the Western democracies began to blame themselves for all sorts of things that had gone wrong. Never mind the fact that Western thought the church, liberal democracies, have literally brought tens of millions of people out of poverty, stopped the Atlantic slave trade, that was the church, advocated for women's suffrage, that was the church, and the civil rights movement, that was the church too. But yet we have this idea we are, some, for some reason, attacking ourselves in this woke culture. And we should, we should be able to speak into this idea because this wokeism is, is not true. But I wonder, what I want to dive in on today is something which is actually a, a layer below wokeism, right? It's something about a, a, a worldview. A, world, a worldview, if you don't know what that is, a worldview is, some, is a set of assumptions that you make that determine how you act. Your view of the world and my view of the world and everybody else's view of the world, and they're different. These worldviews determine how we will live, the, the decisions we will make. Paul makes this very case this morning when he writes to the church at Corinth. His division, this different worldviews that he points out. He says, look, Jews demand signs. I'm going to get to this in a minute. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we, Christians, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. What does all that mean? Well, Paul lays out two worldviews signs and wisdom. I'll get to that in a second. He calls them Jewish worldview and a Greek worldview, but really it's about signs and wisdom. But what I really want to talk about today is this idea of a worldview. How does the world see itself, and how do we as the church see ourselves? How does a Christian view of how the world works differ from the world in which we live, and how can we be a change within it? So two things. What is a worldview, and how does our Christian worldview affect how we change the culture in which we live? So first thing, a little bit of background on Paul. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, right? The Corinthians, Corinth was a Greek Greek city. It had been destroyed by the Romans at some point, I forget when, and kind of rebuilt, kind of like a planned community, like lots of you people and me live in, frankly, a gated community. Um, But anyway, Corinth, Greece is a place where nobody was really from because it had been destroyed, but it was a very wealthy, cosmopolitan, multicultural, multi-ethnic city. People moved to Corinth, Greece to do one thing, make money, and prove themselves. Well, two things, and prove themselves. Not really unlike places you have today, Washington, D.C., New York City, Los Angeles, that sort of thing. You get the idea. That that Corinth, Greece, was this sort of type A achievement-oriented culture with all these different views of the world circulating around, just like our own world today. And in Corinth, we find this little group of Christians that Paul's writing into and reminding them of their worldview. See, every culture, let's unpack that just for a second, every culture, every group of people makes sense of the world based upon a set of assumptions of how the world works. We call that a worldview. A worldview, listen, this is important. A worldview are things that we assume about the world in which we live, but we actually can't prove them. I'll prove it to you in a second. I'll show you what I mean in a minute. But a worldview are things that we assume to make sense of the world in which we live. We assume these things. We all do it. I'll show you in a second. But we can't actually prove these things. Let me, let me give you an example. Here's a question, and this is not a trick question. It's, it sounds like it, but it's not. Here's a question for you right now. Where are you? Where are you right now? You say, I'm sitting in a church. Today is January 29th. It is 10.25 in the morning. Uh, Sunday, I'm sitting in church listening to a captivating and fascinating sermon by our rector. (laughs) We can all agree on that, right? Can we all agree? Okay, let's all agree on that, at least the first part. Prove it. And if you're going, what? I just got you. This This is what I'm trying to make the point. Prove it. Prove that you really are sitting here in this room listening to me. Prove that it really is January 29th, 2023, and I'm really standing here talking to you. Prove it. It sounds like a ridiculous question, but it's not, actually. Because what I've done in that statement is I've questioned your worldview. I have questioned the assumptions that we've all made in this room by our own admission. I'm challenging you to prove what you just said you assume to make sense of where you are right now. How do you know that you're sitting here right now? Well, if you're, what, you, what you would say is something like this: Well, I can see Father Rodriguez in a big green dress up at the pulpit. I, I checked my phone today. It's January 29th. I can look around and see all these people here. What you're really saying, what you're really saying is that my sense experience, my sight, my smell, my hearing, my touch — tells me that I'm here. Your post-enlightenment Western empiricist worldview tells you that your sense experience is real, and we all agree on that, which is why we're all standing. Yeah, we're all standing here. But let me just make a point to you: you can't possibly prove that's true. If someone were to come along, and people have come along and say the world, Buddhists and some Hindus will say the world is an illusion. How could you prove to that person it's not? How would you prove to somebody that the world really is not an illusion? You'd say, well, they're wrong. Well, they'd say, well, you're wrong. See my point? The thing I want you to realize here is a worldview is a set of assumptions that everybody makes, whether you're woke or a Christian or whatever. I don't care who you are. Everybody makes these assumptions, and we never stop to think to ourselves, what are these assumptions, and can we prove them? A worldview is something that you use to make sense of the world, but you cannot prove. And the reason I bring that up to you is because today Paul lays out three separate worldviews, radically different from each other. The Jewish worldview, the Greek worldview, and the Christian worldview. He says Jews, they demand a sign. Their worldview says they need a sign. They need proof. The Greeks, they seek wisdom. get to that in a minute. But we, the church... We preach Christ crucified. Let's look at these just briefly here. The Jews, he says, and that doesn't mean all Jewish people, it just means that the Jewish worldview, which Paul is talking into, they are people who demand a sign. They will not believe in God without irrefutable evidence, without proof. (laughs) You ever met someone, maybe you know someone, maybe someone in your home, your family, who said to you, you know, if only God would do this, I'll believe. Ever happened to you? If only God would do X, I'd believe in him. How many of you have children or grandchildren and don't go to church and say, well, I'd believe if God would just do this, like God somehow owes you or me? Let me give you an example of a a, a real person. When I was the uh, curate at All Saints Church in Wynwood, Pennsylvania, anybody know the church? It's It's a cool little church on the main line. I was, one of my parishioners there, his name was a guy named Dr. Fell. I don't even know his first name, Dr. Fell. His first name's Doctor, I don't know uh, he would say, he's a little guy, blonde, gray-haired guy, bushy eyebrows, classic pen professor, right? And I would say, Dr. Fell, are you a Christian? He'd say, I'm a Christian, but just barely. That's what he would say. His words, not mine. And I once asked him, I said, Dr. Fell, I love this guy. His wife, he was such a complicated character. His wife called him puzzle. Oh, oh, Puzz. Anyway, she I, I, I'd, say, Father, I'd say, Dr. Fell, why do, you, why do you have a problem with faith? And he says, well, I need proof. I said, well, what kind of proof do you need? He said, something with no other explanation. He, he, did, he really did talk like that, too. I said, okay. I said, all right, well, let, me, let me file that away, and I'll, I'll come back to that later. Well, the Lord opened a door for me. Six months later, we were at coffee hour at All Saints Church in Wynwood, and he and his wife, Daphne was her name, they would go to Iceland. They had a home in Reykjavik. His hobby, ready for this, was to go to Iceland where they had a home and translate ancient Icelandic witch trials into English. Yeah, sign me up. And uh, <laughs> that's what he did for fun. You, Anyway, everyone's got their thing. He says to me, you know, he says, you know, I says, you know, this past, Father, I've got to tell you, we were in, in Reykjavik this in Iceland this past summer, and we're coming around the bend of a car, coming around a bend. If you've been to Iceland, it's very the roads are curvy and hilly. He says, We're coming around a bend, and for some strange reason I felt the car just jiggle over to the right just a bit. And at that very moment, a semi-truck came barreling around the bend. He said, We were almost killed. I said, Well, thank God. And he said, "Mm, perhaps. (laughs) I'm not making it up. Maybe it was coincidence, Dr. Fell said. Ah, maybe it wasn't, was my reply. Maybe you said that to yourself before, right? If God would just give me a sign, you'd believe? No, you wouldn't. Signs are always refutable to someone who doesn't want to see them. Always, always. Always. Signs will not get you to faith. Evidence will not get you to faith. It may Look, I'm a guy that became a Christian teaching statistics and scientific research methodology. It can get you close. It can get you in that direction. I'm a left brain engineer, right? This is what converted me. Well, the Holy Spirit converted me. But facts were able to get my brain to the point where I could see it as a plausible God, as plausible. But signs will not convert you. And Paul says, okay, there's so one, one competing worldview you guys have is these people that demand a sign, but there's also these, these Greeks. He says, the Greeks, they demand wisdom. You ever meet someone who likes to talk about religion as a concept? They read a lot. They talk a lot. They've got opinions. My dad used to say, that guy's got a lot to say about a lot of things. <laughs> Not a compliment. You ever meet somebody who, is, who has an opinion about all sorts of things about how the world works? The New Age movement, and although it's kind of fizzling out right now, but it's about to say, but that wokeism is totally this. Father Jordan and I were just talking about this. Wokeism is all about this new secret knowledge, right? You know something more than they do. You know right. You know, did you ever th- stop to think that people that claim to be woke, did you ever stop to think that that implies that if you're not woke, then you're what? Asleep. They know better. Hidden underneath all this knowledge, this wisdom, is a fundamental prideful act which says, I am smarter. We are smarter than you. And that makes me just a little bit better than you. That's the Greek worldview. It's wisdom, wokeism, even for today. And then finally, Paul says, yeah, okay, you've got people that want proof, signs, people that are woke, wisdom. But the Christian worldview, which is remarkable, the Christian worldview is that God died. The Christian worldview is that Christ came to the earth to die on the cross to save us. Paul says, yeah, the Greeks, they want signs. They want proof. The Greeks, they want wisdom. They want to be smarter than everybody else. But we we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. You know, when Jesus is on the cross, what do they say to him? If you are the son of God, save yourself, right? The idea of a crucified Messiah in the Jewish mind is absurd. A stumbling block. It makes no sense. But Paul says in verse 27, to those who are called, it is the power of God. See, Christians, our worldview is different. If you've got friends or family members that you just don't get why they think the way they do, this is why. Their worldview is radically different from your own. It isn't miracles and signs which save mankind. It isn't wisdom which saves mankind. But Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Period. Amen? The Christian worldview is illustrated with crazy ideas. An upside down kingdom, a friend of mine once said. I love that. Right? Everything in Christianity is backwards. I don't mean illogical. I don't mean irrational. I mean different from what the world says. For example, Jesus says in the Beatitudes, which most people preach as sort of a series of social justice arguments, that's not true at all. Jesus is actually telling you how the world works from a Christian perspective. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who mourn. That word blessed, makarios, means happy. And the reason that is, you see, is Paul says, is the cross. The reason that that is true, that the poor are, those who mourn are happy, those who are humble are blessed, the poor are blessed, is because the cross, friends, is our symbol of victory, that Christ came to earth to restore us to him, to take the sins of my own and your own brokenness upon his own shoulders and die in your place and in mine, to pay the price for justice, to set you free from what burdens you. The cross is, ironically, the pinnacle of human achievement. The pinnacle by the pinnacle of humanity. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the cross of Christ I glory. Read that hymn again. This is not some morbid death wish. It's actually a statement of victory. That no matter what happens to us, even death itself has no power. If Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins, that means you are restored to God and you can be restored to other people because Christ has paid the penalty. And if that's true, he dies, he rises from the dead, and if that's true, and it is, then death has no power over you because Jesus Christ on the cross has conquered it. If not even death is to be feared, friends, why do you worry? If God is for me, who can be against me, Paul says in Romans 8. Later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, I love this, I love it. Paul says, O death, where is thy victory? Where is thy sting? The cross, friends, is the solution to all human suffering because the cross reconciles us to God, reconciles us to each other, reconciles us to ourselves, and gives us hope. You know, today is our annual meeting, uh, and lots of, people, lots of people want to know, well, what are you guys going to do? What are we going to do as a, as a, as a church this year? I'm going to tell you in a little bit. But I want, you, I want you to stop and consider something absolutely fundamental, that what we do here at Trinity Episcopal Church is the most important work of all. Saving people from hell giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ, painting out a Christian worldview that is the only one that actually succeeds and works. We are in the man power and woman power business. We are in the business of converting people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, if you want to look, you look at, this is a very philanthropic community, as we all know. Lots of people give lots of money in this town. Thanks be to God. If you look at the boards of the big Functions here, Eddie, Freddie Wolcott, for example, a month or two ago from Gifford Youth Achievement Center. If you look at the people that are actually moving and shaking on those boards, that are actually doing the heavy lifting of raising money and committing to this this community, you know who they are. It's not Buddhists. It's Christians. We had two. We have had in this parish over 280 people join in the past four years. So what you say? Who cares about growth? Well, ah, if you want to change the world, if you want to be the antidote to wokeism, you've got to start with Jesus converting the individual heart one at a time. Friends, that is our business. We are at the grass, most basic grassroots level you can be to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that he can use us, so that he can use you to change the world for good by his power. Let me challenge you, friends. As we talk today at the annual meeting and work through our annual fund, you can complain or you can get on board. You can let someone else pay your way or you can step up. You can live differently from the world in which we live. You can live under a Christian worldview and be nurtured in that here in this place. The opportunity that we all have here as the church is to show the world a better way. Friends, there is no plan B. We're it. I said to somebody this past week, we were talking about the school districts here and all sorts of different things, and I said to this person, I said, uh, I said no, if, if we don't do this, if we don't make the change, who will? It's up to us. We can do it. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to earth to die on the cross for us and to save us from our sins. Show us that this is, this is foolishness to the world and it's a stumbling block to lots of folks, but it, for all, those who are being saved, for us and for those you've brought to this place, it is the power of God. Give us courage to live our lives like we mean it. Give us courage in our mission together here as brothers and sisters in Christ. Give us courage to live with a Christian worldview that you might use us ch- to change the world for good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.